Mr. Ian Huffman. I've got to say, before I start my notes, the music is awesome, outstanding, magnificent. It's like, but it's going to get better. Stay tuned. All right. Um, old people have a little trouble with their vision. <clears throat> so greetings, everyone, and welcome to the greatest day ever. Oops. I may have said that wrong. The day that pictures the greatest day ever. Now, you personally might be thinking, uh-uh, trumpets. That's my day. Trumpets. I am going to become a 1 Corinthians 15 spirit being body and jet across the universe and well, it's going to be great. Okay, but there's an even bigger day than that. And this picture's that day. Last night Steve spoke of our names being written in heaven. And so we re should rejoice. And you should see your name written in heaven, in your mind, and rejoice. So hands up if you're planning to rejoice this festival. All right. That just saved about half an hour right there. Next, we're going to go deeper into God's tabernacles thinking. What is God thinking? Right now, Jesus and God sitting up there on the throne. How many of you think they're down here in this room too? Hands up if you think they're right here in this room. Father and Son. You can't see them. Because if you could see them, you'd all be blind. And we don't want to blind people at the Feast of Tabernacles. That wouldn't be good. So... I believe God is pointing our minds to celebrating the King Jesus' victory. We've got victory here. We've got victory here. We sang about victory. We're more than conquerors. The King Jesus' victory ahead of time. Zechariah 14, 9. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. <gasps> How glorious is that going to be? You do it Jesus' way, or sorry, you don't do it, right? So, is Jesus king of the earth on trumpets? Got a yes over here. Got a maybe yes there. All right, I'm going to say no, right? Because the great moment of Jesus' victory occurs when Jesus appears on the 15th of the seventh month. Because when he appears on trumpets, again, it's a great day for you. You're looking up in the sky and you see white horses and all your neighbors are going, ah, let the rocks fall on us, this is terrible. And you're going, yippee, yeah, this is the best ever, right? And you get to rise in the sky and you meet Jesus in the crowd, clouds, and then you go over to Mount of Olives and you do some redecoration there, you split the mountain, and you prepare for war. What? You're going to be warriors after you're resurrected. Those of you who are dead, right? I mean, sorry. And those of you who are still living at the time, you'll be warriors too. We've got a war to fight. It's going to be a real easy war. And there'll be no casualties on Jesus' side. And that'd be great. That'd be great. Okay, so um, 
Zechariah 14, 16, it should come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations, well, that means the battle of Armageddon, all the nations that came against Jerusalem. So if you read it in context, of all the people who are left over, still alive, after the battle of Armageddon, they shall come up and go up from year to year to worship the king. What a victory time that will be. The Lord of hosts sent to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Why don't we just come up and worship the king? And forget that tabernacles thing. No, the tabernacles thing is for worshiping the king. Oh. Oh. Well, thank you so much. Anybody order a crown? I guess we've got a crown. How splendorous will the crown of Jesus Christ be? Anybody seen the Queen of England's crown? Anybody seen that? At least on TV, right? Okay, I, I've never gotten close to it, right? I think I saw it behind a glass one time over in England. But anyhow, just picture Jesus' crown. It's going to be way better than this one here because, you know, that one's a little flimsy there. But it's, it's, uh, it's to remind you of your king. And none of you have ever lived under a king, I don't think. There's probably no one here that's lived under a king. Really? There is somebody? No, no, okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you pointed to your wife. Okay, I see. <laughs> You're in trouble. Okay. So, Zechariah 14, 17. It shall be whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king. On them there will be no rain. There's going to be no rain. You come to worship the king of tabernacles or... Wow, man, this is, this is great. We're overflowing here with crowns. All right, so the crowd will be gathered on the 15th day of the seventh month, years ahead of us. Some think 50 years. I think less than 10 years. But you can think whatever you want, because when it happens, it's going to happen. It really doesn't matter what we think, does it? Right? The crowd will be gathered as we are gathered here today on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Only we'll be gathered then to hear and to see with our own eyes. We who will be spirit beings will see with our spirit eyes. I'm looking forward to those. Right? And the remaining human beings will see Jesus. They'll have seen him in the sky, all right, in the white horse, but... <laughs> Their vision's going to be a little blurry when that happens. Like, ah, you know, won't exactly be focusing and getting out of their binoculars. But, but when they come to worship the king on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem, who do, you spoke, who do you suppose is going to be the main speaker that day? Anybody want to guess? Huh, louder. Be king Jesus. I sure won't be speaking. I'm going to take a break. Um, but, but, okay, picture it. You know, use your, when you were born and you, when you were young, you had fantastic minds that could, could dream and look into the future and imagine things that, that couldn't even be, right? Like, like telephones that aren't attached to the wall. Right? People have been imagining things and then creating and building things. Orville and Wilbur Wright imagined that they could have controllable flight and go up off the ground and fly through the air and come back on the ground without killing themselves. 
And they worked at it and worked at it, and they got it and they did it, and now we all fly around in jets. Well, some other people in it. But anyhow, people fly around in jets. So, what a glorious moment in mankind's history this is going to be, right? It's going to be not a feast of tabernacles like this one during the pandemic, but this is going to be a world-shattering day. I believe Battle of Armageddon takes place on the Day of Atonement, and then that's the 10th day of the month. On the 11th, 12th, 13th, and 14th day of the month, There'll be emissaries going around the world to the leadership saying, you really need to come to the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem to worship King Jesus. And he picks out Egypt because Egypt is Muslim, right? And it says, send people or else. And they go, what, what do you mean? Worship King Jesus, uh-uh, right? On the Feast of Tabernacles, that's a Jewish holy day, uh-uh, right? In Jerusalem, uh-uh, let's go to Mecca instead, right? So... so. There'll be some persuasion necessary to get people to go and worship the king on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles and the rest of the Tabernacles. So our first job, like I said earlier, will be to go to war with the beast power. Revelation 19, 19. I saw the beast and the kings of the earth, their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse. This is when the Battle of Armageddon takes place, Revelation 19, 20. When the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet. And these two were cast alive into the lake of fire and burning with brimstone. Okay, that is the official end of man's chaos and craziness and, and horror. You know, because these two created the tribulation for three and a half years and it's just, whoa, 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 it's a horrible, terrible time. Then I saw an angel, verse 20, 20, 20 verse 2, and I, he laid on the dragon, laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. Verse 3, and he cast him into the bottomless pit, so he should not deceive the nations anymore for a thousand years until they're finished. This is the end of the third woe, but it's a sad day because of great loss of life. Now, I tried to put together an atonement sermon, sermon based on celebration. Yahoo! will be happy, happy. So we were going to have happy, happy trumpets, and then we were going to have happy, happy atonement. You ever tried to do that? That doesn't go so well. Anyhow, I worked, and I worked, and I worked, and I finally found a scripture that said, God's not happy on the Day of Atonement. And guess what? We aren't either. <laughs> Mainly because we think a lot about our stomachs. God tells us his feelings when the wicked die. In, Zechariah, in Ezekiel 33, 11, Say to them, as, long, as I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Now, I do. Whoops, I need to change. Right? When I watch the, the detective series, right, and the, the really bad, rotten, horrible, terrible, murdering, you know, adulterous kind of... You know, a woman raping guy, you know, pulls out his gun and shoots at the police and they shoot back at him and he's dead. I, I'm kind of happy. That makes me happy. And the few shows that end and they never catch the crook, he disappears. <laughs> I'm not happy. Right? But God is not happy in the death of the wicked. But that the wicked should turn from his way and live. And that's what we have done. We have turned from our way to God's way. 
And we are living, we're living physically a new life, and we're living spiritually a new life. And we have a vision of the future that sadly, you know, nearly 8 billion people on the planet can't comprehend. All they can comprehend, most of them, many of them, is you give your heart to Jesus, whatever that is, and you go to heaven when you die, and that is rock solid. You can find somebody on a Sunday morning and you can talk to them until you're blue in the face, until the cows come home, and they will not budge from, I'm going to heaven when I die. I don't care what Jesus says. It's like, wait, did you just hear that? You don't care what Jesus says? Well, it's translated wrong. It's not right. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. Think of the surprise in the second resurrection, right? All those people coming up going, oh, this must be heaven. Boy, it's kind of dirty. There's no gold on the ground here. You know, what's going on? I've been robbed. Where's Billy Graham? I need to talk to him. You know, it's, it's going to be a whole new world because they didn't pay attention. They didn't pay attention. They didn't go to the Feast of Tabernacles and they didn't worship the king. We are worshiping the king and his victory now here ahead of time. Man's celebrations look backwards. Fourth of July, backwards. Christmas, backwards. Halloween, Oh, I don't even know about that one. Forget that one, right? But, but most of our celebrations look backwards. God's created seven festivals in the year to look forwards to great moments in the future. So Revelation 20, verse 3, Satan is locked away for a thousand years, and the next verse says, Revelation 20, verse 4, And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them, and they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Raise your hand if you believe that the, the they on the thrones can include you. Okay, okay. I still need some convincing here. But you're going to be kings and priests whether you like it or not, right? You've got work to do. True believers are told they will be kings and priests with God. Revelation 1.6 And made us kings and priests to God and the Father to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. It's a great plan. It seems that one day of that future Feast of Tabernacles may have been the joy that Jesus would kept Jesus going. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of God, the right hand of the throne of God. So what was that joy? What was in Jesus' mind that kept him going? Jesus, with his new bride, the saints, will meet the remnant of humanity and begin the glory of the next 1,000 years of abundant peace and joy. That's Jesus' joy. And Feast of Tabernacles' first day is kickoff day. They're playing football again. I saw it on TV today. Right? They're playing. I just had the TV on to see if there was any breaking news. And most of the breaking news was football is being played. <laughs> but life is getting back to normal. So hands up if you worry about your kids and your grandkids. Okay. Some of you may not have kids and grandkids, but that's okay. Um, this passage of joy set before Jesus seems to show that God is worried about 
his children. He's worried that we might turn away from the glorious future that he's painting for us with the Feast of Tabernacles, with all the promises he's made, with the new life we've been living. How many of you like the new Christian, Jesus Christian, festival-keeping Christian life? How many of you like that better than the old way? You like that? It's, it's a great life, isn't it? So Hebrews 12.1. Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which so easily ensnares us, it trips us up, and let us run the race with endurance. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. There's a race set before us. When we're baptized, that's the starting line. We, we run the race. And the finish of the race, the finish line of the race, is essentially 1 Corinthians 15. And that's the moment when you are suddenly changed for all eternity into an ever-living family of God person. Verse 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher, and the joy that was set before him. So, so we're running our race, and while we're running our race, we're looking at Jesus, who was looking at the joy that was set before him, which is tabernacles thinking. Tabernacles pictures a world so different, you can't even imagine it. And, and consider this, in your minds, what will be the first day of the thousand years, I think it'll be the 15th day of the, tenth, of the seventh month, what will it be like? Now, in here, we had beautiful, beautiful music, and we had announcements, and we had, you know, we had certain things and prayers, and, and what, what will it be like when Jesus crafts the service on the first day? Will he come up and stand behind the wood? How many of you think he'll come up and stand behind the wood? Nobody. I'm getting a definite no over there. All right. I picture Jesus hovering. You know, oh, I don't know, what, 100 feet, 1,000 feet in the sky, radiating in all directions. I picture angelic choirs around, all around him, you know, beside him, everywhere, all around, singing, Songs that you can't even imagine. That just, you know, if you were human, it might break your heart. But you'll be spirit being, so you'll be tougher, right? And, and what do you think Jesus is going to say? He's going to put, talk about, a little bit about what just happened. And a lot about what's about to happen for the next thousand years. And how we're going to do it. And we've been learning... We who've been keeping festivals, we've been learning all along. And keeping Sabbath, we've been learning all along what it is that he's going to say. And he's going to say, now, all of you humans, you need to get in the program. You need to learn this. And when you have children, you need to have children, teach your children, get in the program. And as one of the songs says, and their children, and their children, and their children, and their children. How many children are going to be born in the thousand years and live happily and not die? How many children have died before the age of two in man's history? How many children have died before the age of five or six? <gasps> Don't even think about it. It's horrendous. So, Hebrews 12.3, For consider him who endured such hostilities of sin sinners against himself, lest you become weary. So, 
So this whole thing of, oh, let's run the race and uh, let's keep looking to Jesus because he had a joy that was set before him and he's going to be victorious king of all the earth. And the next verse says, consider him lest you become weary and discouraged in your soul. Oh, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. I keep the Sabbath. I keep the holy days. That's not going to happen. Well, I have to tell you, folks, that I have become weary and I have become discouraged at the pandemic. I am so sick and tired of the virus and the chaos that's in our world today. So, hands up if you have felt weariness and discouragement this year. See how many honest people we got. Yeah, a whole bunch of people put their hands up. My discouragement as humanity is joined by unspeakable excitement over the fulfilled prophecy that God has been giving us. Tabernacles is a fulfilled prophecy. Every year he said, keep the feast. I am planning for you to keep the feast. Every year we keep the feast of tabernacles, we fulfill a prophecy for that year. We keep on doing it. Jesus wants his feast of tabernacles to prepare us for great challenges as our world descends into spiritual darkness. So it's okay to feel weary and discouraged at the world and what's being done, and the virus. But we've got to build up. We have to build our faith stronger. We have to focus on the crown, the victory of Jesus Christ, of what he kept him going. And to me, this is the first big joy day in Jesus' mind. Not, not today, but this day picturing his first day. When the battle of Armageddon is over, He's sad that all those people had to die. We, we have to work our minds around that. But, but then he's got a clean slate. And he comes out on the service of the first day of the thousand years and the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles. <sighs> Is that going to be a great message? <laughs> Is that going to be something to die for? Really? Right? So, Luke 21, 31. Okay, let's go back to Luke 21, 28. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads. We, we don't really use this language. Right? When was the last time you said to some young person, teenager, whatever, now listen here, son, I want you to look up and lift up your head. Sounds a little bit like the French Revolution where they lifted up people's heads with a guillotine. It's like, what, what are you talking about? Look up. Okay, I'm looking up. Lift up your head. Okay, I'm lifting up my head. What does that mean? What do you think that means? What does that mean to you? What is he saying? Anybody? Say again. Louder. Oh, take courage. Okay, yes. Take courage. Um, Joshua got a good dose of that back in the old days. Right? To me, it means get excited. What excites you? I know winning a football game excites you, and I know there are other things that excite you, right? But he is saying, when these things begin to happen, right, in your minds, in this room, if we could poll everybody in this room, 
Some would say it's already begun, right? I would, in my mind, it's already begun because verse 40 of Daniel 11 was 9-11 and that was nearly 20 years ago. It's already begun for me. I see it that way. A lot of people don't see it that way. It doesn't matter whether you see it that way or not because when we get to the second trumpet and a third of the ships in the sea are destroyed and a third of the creatures under the sea where those ships were are dead and a third of that sea is turned to blood, you're not going to miss the second trumpet. You're going to go, oh, that's the second trumpet right there. You know, and then you can lift up your heads and get excited. And Whoa! Right? Now, why should we get excited? Because your redemption draws near. Anybody been redeemed lately? Anybody <laughs> redeemed something they put on layaway lately? Right? They still do that? People buy things on layaway? Or is that 19th century stuff? Okay. All right. Let's moving, move ahead. So your redemption draws near. So you've got to translate that into 1 Corinthians 15, your spirit being body, right? You are, you know, and, and you really, you should memorize 1 Corinthians 15 and you should have your children memorize 1 Corinthians 15 because all of this space travel and Star Trek and, and oh, we're going to land astronauts on Mars. It ain't going to be me. I'm sorry. I ain't going to Mars. Wild horses couldn't drag me to Mars. I like it way better down here. Last night was fabulous. There's so much beauty on planet Earth if the people would just stop wrecking it, right? So, verse 31. So, he says, Jesus speaking, you also, that's you, put your name in there, when you see these things happening, know that the kingdom of God is near, close, soon. What things? When you see these, what, what things? I used to read the book of Revelation. I'd come out of there with a headache. Like, oh, man, how am I going to... Oh, I don't understand this book. So, if I could tell you that the kingdom is 12 months from today, would that get you excited? I'm getting a couple of nods with a grin. Like, if, if it could be true, you'd be excited. You only have to wait one more year. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Wow. What, how much can you put up with in one more year? I mean, whatever it takes, you can make it one more year, right? Okay, can't happen. It can't happen in one more year because we've got three and a half years of the tribulation and it hasn't started yet. I can promise you tribulation has not started you yet. But it could be in the near future because when things, when the dominoes start to fall, you've all seen dominoes fall, Right? When the first domino falls, how long is it before a whole bunch of dominoes are falling? Once the first domino falls, things get underway in a hurry. Jesus and the Father want us to be fully equipped for pre-tribulation and tribulation events when we head home after the feast this year. Because we're we're in flux, we're in tumult, we're in turmoil. I mean, had the virus been designed carefully as a weapon, a lot of us would be dead. It was an accident, right? How do I know it was an accident? Because it started killing a whole bunch of Chinese people where it started. You don't win a war by killing your own people. 
right? So, and then, as I understand it, they locked down Wuhan, except you could fly out of Wuhan to Los Angeles and to New York and to all over the place. So, had it been a bioweapon, well-designed and well-crafted, pretty much 188 countries in the world would be devastated. We shut down our schools. We shut down everything, right? Thank God we had a strong economy and we're, you know, we're coming back up. We're going to get through this. So, Luke, um, let's see. <clears throat> Jesus wants us stronger. Okay, lost my place. Luke 21, 34. Take heed to yourself, you know. Test yourself. Question yourself. Ask yourself questions. Right? Lest your hearts be weighed down, burdened, right? Lest your hearts be burdened with cares of this life. Now, if you're reading the notes or you're watching the screen, you notice I jumped over stuff. So here's how the King James Sunday-keeping translators gave this, this verse. Take heed to yourself, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing. I don't see any guilty faces. So I guess that means nothing to you, right? And drunkenness is, is, is Jesus talking to the church? Is this what he would say to the church? I mean, the Old Testament was full of don't get drunk, right? If you, if you drink a little bit of alcohol, do you get drunk? No. If you drink too much alcohol, do you get drunk? Yes. So don't drink too much, right? So, okay, I looked at some of the Greek here. It better reads, weighed down, burdened, okay, I'm burdened. I'm burdened at the world, but I'm not burdened at where we're going, where Jesus is taking us, where the king and the crown is coming to. Right? Next verse, carousing could be translated headaches. Anybody had any headaches the last 12 months? Huh? Those of you who didn't have a headache, bless you. Right? Okay, next one says drunkenness. What's another word for drunkenness? Intoxication. Are there people out there in the world who are intoxicated with, say, football? Or name something else, making money, or you know, people can be intoxicated without only being drunk. He's saying, don't become intoxicated, but do get excited about the coming of, of the kingdom and Christ and the cares of this life. Okay, that's a good one because we've all got cares of this life, and you know, we know people who've got cares of this life, and the and the virus is, you know made it ten times worse or a hundred times worse or whatever. But that they might come on you unexpectedly sooner than you think. So, when, okay, when you see the second trumpet and the ships are destroyed, we're already in the tribulation. It's, it's full steam ahead, you know. Um, and Katie by the door. It's like, I don't know where you'll be, I don't know where I'll be, you know, if I'm alive, I don't know. But, but it's like, okay, 
tribulation. Well, he gave us the whole book of Revelation so we'll know what to do during the tribulation. It, it's amazing. The very first verse, I don't have it in the notes, the very first verse, Revelation says, to show his servants. Last chapter of the book of Revelation says, to show his servants. What's going to happen? How it's going to be? And then there's this verse that says, blessed are those who obey the book of Revelation. Huh? Obey? But what's in there that needs to be obeyed? You know? Right? Because your headache, you get your headache going, and you're, and you're like, you know, obey, obey what? Well, don't take the mark of the beast. Is a good obey not? You know, don't do that. And he says, if you do take the mark of the beast, then you'll suffer the wrath of God. God won't be on your side. God will be against you. So whatever comes, hell or high water, you know, whatever the mark of the beast is, if you get there, don't take it. Right? If you're not willing to die for Christ's sake, you're not worthy of him. And <clears throat> essentially, the way I've come to see this is those who've died in the church last year and years be gone by, one more second of consciousness and they're in immortality. One more second. Not one more second as you see it or you feel it, but one more second of consciousness. They died and the last second of their consciousness, their light went out. Now they're like in a deep sleep. And the very next second, the angels are rising them up out of the grave in a spirit being body. I cannot imagine for the life of me the first resurrection people getting drug out of their coffins in, in, uh, yeah, in decayed state. How would you feel if you woke up first thing tomorrow morning and you were all decayed and had dirt all over you and you're just filthy? Where's the shower, you know? You are going to come out of the grave, those of you who make it, you know. Um, not that I'm urging you to. Yeah, but, you know, people die. People die. I could die. I, they try to kill me out on the highway all the time. Thank God I'm still here, right? But someday I will die, probably. Um, the best death, you know what the best death is? Anybody know what it is? Raise your hand if you think you know what the best death is. Can't think of it, can you, right? Death that's terrible. The best death is when Paul said, we who are alive and remain, after the, after the first resurrection, dead people go up to meet Christ in the cloud. They go first. Then, those of us who are alive, we go second. Now, at what point, when your feet leave the ground, do you change from a human being to a spirit being? If you're afraid of heights, I would imagine one inch off the ground. Right? It's like, oh, Lord, oh, you know, I hate the, I can't climb ladders. I hate, I hate heights. Yeah, see? Right. So, so God is not trying to terrorize us. So, so I believe that once the dead people have gone up in their spirit being bodies and all their glory, then I believe that, that we will die the death that is so joy, enjoyable. It, you won't feel anything. Your body will just, I don't know what he'll do with all those bodies. I mean, I don't really care. Anybody can have this body when I'm done with it. It's like, give it to science, whatever you want to do with it. I just don't want, don't bring it with me. I'm not taking it with me. Right? I'm leaving it behind. And, and you're going to feel like Superman, Superwoman. You're going to, unbelievable, you know, you're going to go, oh, I like this body. And I am going to look forward to a spirit brain. 
way better than a physical brain. The things we're going to be able to understand with a spirit brain. Now, God has already given us secrets of the universe that we've got that people don't want to hear. You say, oh, did you know Jesus is coming on white horses? Don't want to hear it. Why don't you want to hear it? Don't want to hear it. Okay, do, do, do you realize nobody goes to heaven? Don't want to hear it. <laughs> We've got the secrets of the universe, and Tabernacles helps us focus and visualize and get riveted on the main secrets that God is planning. So, verse 36, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. Isn't that an amazing verse? Does, does that mean you don't have to go through the tribulation? Is that what that means? I know a handful of people who don't have to go through the tribulation. Anybody know who I'm talking about? The people who were in Jerusalem on the abomination day who obeyed Jesus. What did it say? It said, when you see the abomination, desolation, the morning and evening sacrifices stopped, leave immediately and go to the mountains. Because the people who don't go to the mountains get killed by the edge of the sword in battle, or they get taken captive into all nations, prison camps like World War II. But the people who go to the mountains, is that so they can get killed up in the mountains? It's so they can be safe up in the mountains. Right? And a handful of crazy people, right? In the mountains, this is going to bother the beast power. It's like, ah, they'll die up there when the winter comes or something. And God will take care of them. So, you know, essentially, they don't suffer the tribulation like other people will. Okay, so that's a wonderful verse, right? Counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. And we're going to stand before the Son of Man. And I imagine the first place we stand before the Son of Man is in the clouds. When we catch up, Jesus waits in the clouds. He sends the angels out, go get them, right? And they come, you know, it's, it's got to be incredible. It just has to be, right? If you live next to a cemetery, and or if your neighbor lives next to a cemetery, it's, it's not going to be dull. They won't be, they're gone. It's, I expect God will be dramatic, like he's been dramatic with hundreds of other things throughout history. It'll be like, you know, oh, Maybe, maybe a wooden coffin will pop. <laughs> Anyhow, it, you know, because terrifying the humans is part of the plan. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Right, okay. So watch therefore and pray always that you might be counted worthy. Jesus wants us to be stronger at watching and praying on the eighth day than we were on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacle. So this whole thing is crafted to focus, 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 focus. It's not a reward for surviving last year. It's, it's a pump you up for making it for another year. And another year. And another year. And there aren't too many more another years out there before it's the big year. Right? And if you die this year, you don't have to wait. You're right there. In the next second of consciousness, you're right there. So Jesus wants us focused similarly like he was focused. Hebrews 12.1 Therefore we also... Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus for the joy. The Father God wants us focused on the crown of life. 2 Timothy 4.8 Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, says Paul, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. So Paul is going to get 
a crown of righteousness. Now, um, I forgot to tell you earlier, Jesus has many crowns. The scriptures, I'm not sure I put it in the notes, but the scriptures say Jesus has many crowns. Now, humanly, it's like, well, how are you going to wear many crowns? Right? Right? I could give you one of these, and you could wear one of these, but if you tried wearing two of these, you'd, without some glue or some duct tape or something, you'd have, you'd have a struggle. Like, what do you mean, wear many crowns? He's in charge of, he's responsible for many, many, many things. Pretty much like the President of the United States is responsible for a lot of stuff. And this is God's royalty. So laid up for me a crown of righteousness, right? And not only for me, Paul says, to encourage us all, but to all those who have loved his appearing. If you love the fact that Jesus came and did what he did and what he's doing now and what he will do in the future, you get a crown. One of these crowns, right? And this, you know, you don't, this is not your crown. I'm sorry. Don't, don't get carried away with that, right? There's a, I don't even know what your crown is going to look like. But up in heaven, I believe, there is a crown crafted by Jesus and the Father with your name on it. And there's one with my name on it. I got baptized, you got baptized. They wrote a name on a crown, whatever it looks like. I don't care what it looks like. It's going to be out of this world. It's going to be beyond comprehension for human minds. Right? James 1.12. Blessed is the man who endures temptation when he has been approved. He will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. If you know Jesus and you know he promised us, these things, and you know he will not fail his promise, your crown is in heaven with your name on it already. 1 Peter 4, 4, uh, 5, 4. When the chief shepherd appears on the first day of the Feast of Tabernacles, right, before all the world. Now, he'll appear in the clouds, and people will see him at a distance, and then he, he'll appear, I imagine he'll appear over the top of the Battle of Armageddon for a short time, and then all those people will die. Right? And then he's going to come out in all his glory, right? not behind the wood. I just, if he comes out behind the wood, I'm going to have a fit. Right? It's like, this is Jesus. He doesn't need to come out behind the wood. He can hover and radiate to everybody present. Right? So, uh, let's see. The chief shepherd appears. You will receive a crown of glory that does not fade away. So, they're focusing us on what's already existing in heaven the crown of glory. Jesus and our Father are using the tabernacle's experience to help give us the victory. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through the victory of Jesus. Jesus gets the victory, and part of his victory is us getting the victory. We're part of his victory. Right? John understood that our personal faith is the critical factor. 1 John 5, 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory. This is it. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith. How's your faith? Jesus said to his guys, Oh, ye little faith. They must have loved hearing that. How many times do you suppose Peter and John are, Oh, what do you say? What do you say? He said, Oh, ye little faith. <laughs> you know, but later on they had lots of faith, right? So, 1 John 5, 5. Who, who is he that overcomes the world? But he that believes that 
Jesus is the Son of God. Okay, billions of people out there believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Billions and billions of them. Even non-Christians believe kind of, that the Christians believe that he's the Son of God. But you have to also obey his words. Right? It's no good to believe Jesus, sweet Jesus. There are songs, there are people on, on the radio waves all around the world, 24 hours a day, never miss a second. There are praise and worship songs of Jesus, sweet Jesus. Jesus is so wonderful, right? Worth worship. How many of you know the definition of the word worship? Anybody? Anybody looked it up? It's a great word to look up. It means worth-ship. Jesus is worth worshiping. So if Jesus said something, it's worth paying close attention to what he said. Right? John 3.13. No man has ascended into heaven. Jesus said that. Yeah, yeah, all my, all my relatives are in heaven. You know, you see on the TV, somebody dies. They're up in heaven looking down, smiling. Like, you know, everybody's, everybody's doing this thing. Your relatives are in heaven. No, they're not. They're in the grave. How do I know? Jesus said they're in the grave. Right? So Jesus, if you're going to worship Jesus, you need to worship whatever he teaches. Um, Jesus was focused and, and gained the eternity victory. His victory becomes our victory. His victory, victory is way bigger than our victory, but we're a part of his victory. Jesus urgently wants Tabernacles believers to, to be steadfast until one second before they get their eternity bodies. Now, if, if the beast power gets a hold of me and says, you're going to worship the beast power, and I, I give him some glib, clever, stupid answer, right, and they put me to death, I might even say, go on, Make my day. Send me on to the kingdom. I'm ready. Right? And, and in an instant, I'll be dead. And one second later, <gasps> glory, hallelujah. Revelation 2.10. Do not fear any of the things that you're about to suffer. You may be tested. You will have tribulation, pressure, troubles. Be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. That's what Jesus says to those who are facing death. And if I'm facing death at the beast or the mark of the beast or any of that stuff, I hope, I hope, I'll remember those words, right? And, and like, <laughs> smile as I'm dying, right? So Revelation 3.11, Behold, I'm coming speedily. It says quickly. I, I've seen that a million times. He's coming quickly. He wrote it 2,000 years ago. He didn't come quickly. But it could be translated speedily. So when he decides to come, he's going to come speedily. It won't take a lot of time to get things done. Right? Uh, hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. So if you've got this, your crown is in heaven, someplace, in storage, wherever, Maybe it's on the working on it. They're probably working on it. It's on a table somewhere. They're working on it. It's got your name on it, right? And, and <clears throat> he says, um, hold fast what you have that no one takes your crown. All right? And I looked up the word take there, and you could have put the word forget, that nothing may you forget your crown. I don't want you to forget your crown. I'm, I hope these silly, crazy things I do will help you visualize a crown, and then visualize your crown, 
and then visualize your name written on your crown up there in heaven because Jesus said you're getting a crown. If you hang in there and make it to the end, you're getting a crown, which should make you ready. I can't believe it. I can't wait to get my crown. Yeah, well, you've got to make the distance. You've got to finish the race. So he says, um, now it's not possible for a person to go up to heaven and take the crown of victory of yours and take it away. It's not possible. So no man can take your crown, right? But you could forget about your crown, and people have. People, you know people who have forgotten about their crown, and they've turned away, and they've neglected so great a salvation. So it is possible for things in this life to cloud our focus and cause us to forget the immense value of what God is offering each one of us. And the crown... The crown is royalty. The crown is magnificence. The crown is majesty. The crown is victory. The crown is, you could go on and on and on and on. The crown is a symbol because you don't know what it's going to feel like to have a spirit being God family body. Right? Now, when you were young, right, and you can watch some of the young people here this time at the feast, you know, the three, five, seven, after seven they start getting self-conscious, but but yeah, they're bouncing. You see them in the grocery stores and doing dumb stuff and having a good time in the grocery store. You know, they feel good. Like if, if unless you know, they've got a toothache or something, they feel good. Their body works really well. They're happy, right? And then they grow up and their body doesn't work so good anymore, right? So we have difficulty comprehending what it's going to be like to have a absolute, gorgeous, glorious, fabulous godly, heavenly, uh, angelic body. It's just, it's going to be good, right? You know, words fail me. Jesus and the Father want our minds riveted on that glorious day in the future when our better glorious bodies are in the royal family of God celebrating King Jesus Tabernacle's worship. We're doing it now in human bodies the best we can do. But when that day comes, that first Feast of Tabernacles of the thousand-year period, it is going to blow your socks off, because you won't have socks. But it's going to blow your mind. And if you had your old mind, it would blow your mind, but you have your new mind, so it's not going to blow that mind. It's just going to be unbelievable. Zechariah 14, 16. It shall come to pass that everyone shall go out from year to year to worship the king and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Why can't people read that? What is... They don't diligently study the word. They just want to go to heaven when they die and be sweet Jesus for the rest of eternity, right? Except he rejects that. I reject that. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, he says. Revelation 3.21, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me in my throne. Tough to get your mind around that one, right? Now, if Steve got to sit next to Jesus on Jesus' throne, we could look and there'd be the two of them. Look at that. Steve sitting next to Jesus. Right? But he's promising that to thousands and thousands and millions and millions and billions and billions and who knows? I don't know. Do we have trillions yet? We probably don't have trillions yet. Right? But he's promising that. So we can't comprehend that. But we'll be in the royal family. We should be able to comprehend that. Rejoicing is amongst, let's see, is easy amongst wonderful tabernacles people like yourselves. I love being with tabernacles people. It's great. It's easy to rejoice. We have seven and a half days at tabernacles to prepare for 
bigger calamities than the virus. Oh, no, it can't get any worse than the virus. Uh-huh. The book says it gets worse. So God wants us to sharpen our focus on where he wants us to be on that day. He and Jesus talk about this often. I guarantee you, they talk about your crown with your name on it, with your life and what you're doing and how you're praying and the struggles and the overcoming you're doing. They're talking about you and they're cheering you forward and cheering you onwards and wanting you to be victorious in your life. Because the crown just represents your victory in your life. But Jesus will be so thrilled to present it to you. Micah 4.2 Many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and he will teach us his ways. That's what Jesus is going to talk about when he comes out on, on stage. See, I'm stuck in the old ways. Right? When Jesus appears, he's going to teach the nations his ways. Well, guess what? We've been doing that, tabernacles after tabernacles after tabernacles after Passover, 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 Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath. He's been teaching us his ways because we pay close attention to what he says and we try with all our being to overcome and do what he says and to walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go the law. Law? Law? We don't want law. We want to do away with law. We want to do away with the police. We just want everybody to be nice. Not me. I'm not going outside because a lot of those people are not nice. I want law and order. Anyhow, Zechariah 8.4, thus saith the Lord of hosts, old men, he's talking about me, and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each one with a staff in his hand because of great age. <gasps> wow. See? And they'll be sitting there happy. Next we come to, oh, I love this, this one makes me cry sometimes, Zechariah 8.5. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing in the streets. Can you remember back when boys and girls used to play in the street? Some of you can remember that. Wasn't that wonderful? Wasn't that wonderful? By the time I had my first child, I didn't dare take my eyes off of him in public. Because he could be gone in 15 seconds. Gone and never seen again. <sighs> Jesus longs for this day. Verse 6. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, If it is marvelous in ours, I don't know who translated this one, but it seems to be backwards. If it's marvelous in the eyes of the remnant of these people in these days, it will also be marvelous in my eyes. I think what it's saying is, this is what I want. This is, what, this is my victory. I'm going to teach people how to live in tabernacle style. Right? Nobody gets murdered amongst the Feast of Tabernacles people. Nobody, you know, no child, children go missing. There's no rape at the Feast of Tabernacles. We live by different standards, and that's the world that Jesus is taking us to. We have lived through 9-11. Remember that? That was a long time ago. Young people don't even know what a 9-11 is. Well, you know, unless, they, unless they Googled it, right? And much of the virus we've lived through. And the time of sorrows is upon us. Jesus and the Father want us fully equipped. They want us rare and they want us prepared. They want us to take courage. They want us to have strong faith. They want us to be able to lay down our lives if the time comes. 
Now, if you die a heart attack next year, you, you know, you didn't really have to lay down your life for Jesus, but you just stayed faithful until you died, right? But times will get tough and rough. So they want us fully equipped, focused on our personal victory crown with our name on it and sitting with Jesus on his throne. Ephesians 4.12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Romans 2.7, eternal life to those who by patient continuous continuance in doing good seek for glory and honor and immortality. Is that you? How many of you here today are seeking glory? Three, four, five, okay, that's good. Honor, how many of you are seeking honor? Okay, a few more. You're starting to get rhythm here, right? How many of you are seeking immortality? I am seeking it, right? I know you're not supposed to seek glory. You're supposed to be humble, right? But that's what he says. That's what we're doing. We're here seeking those things. All right. I've got to, I'm letting my light shine up here, which is my, my face lights up every now and then. So... Hands up if you are here at the Feast of Tabernacles seeking immortality. We already did that part. Okay. The Father and Jesus eagerly want you to receive your crown of glory. That's, they have been working at this for who knows how long. A long time. Jesus died and shed his blood because he was working on his same project for you. Using tabernacles wisely is the single best way to make sure that nothing will take away your victory crown. 